we didn't even have money to get a booth, so we were standing by the bathroom with a sign. <laughs> I definitely did that. It was so stinky. <laughs> I was by the bathroom holding a sign asking people to join as visitors. Yeah, I'll give yeah. you a cute dog bandana if you join. <laughs> so we did that. We recruited 100 sitters in a day. Wow. So it was really efficient. I was like, oh, okay, cool. There are a lot of people that are down to take care of other people's dogs for money and cats. Yeah. So did you do that next year or did you get like a proper booth? We're invited every year now. Yeah, we can afford <laughs> booths now. But back then, we buy the bathroom because we didn't pay for the booth. So we could only stand in that corner. Some of the sitters from that day, they still remember that day. Like, oh, remember you guys were standing by the bathroom. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting edge technology, startup unicorns and connections to the world. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from the Asianometry YouTube channel. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here with Candice from Fluff. Candice, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. I'm Candice, founder and CEO of Fluff. I actually saw you at the Meet Taipei show last year or something. And you had a very interesting booth. And then also, I think it was like a dog, right? Yeah, our real CEO, my dog. <laughs> we are all serving for the dog. Her name is Sky. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, promoting our app. Fluff is a pet care marketplace that helps urban pet parents find trusted local sitters easily through our matching system. How did you come up with this idea? It's very unique. Actually, I was a sitter back in college in the States. So this idea actually originally came from when I was a sitter back then and actually uh, made decent money in college. I was also an Uber driver. So actually I had a lot of gig jobs back in the days and it really helped me pretty much put me through college. So uh, it meant a lot to me, but I kind of just carry on with life. And eventually I decided to move to Taiwan due to several reasons. I came back for families and I didn't really like the political situation in the States back then. And there were a lot of gun violence and racial problems. So I just decided to move to Taiwan. And when I came to Taiwan, I realized, oh, there's so many dogs and cats. You, you see like strollers at the MRT station with dogs inside instead of babies. Yeah, it's like one of the weirdest things that foreigners are surprised about when they visit Taiwan. And these strollers are like custom built for the dog. It's not like a repurposed baby stroller. Yeah, it's like 60% of the time it's a dog instead of a baby, you know? So it's like there are more dogs than babies now. And I saw an opportunity when I came to Taiwan and people were still asking the friends and family to help them take care of the dogs and cats when they travel. So then I just kind of remembered, oh, wait, back then... I could just use an app easily to find a sitter. How come they don't have that here? So I kind of did more research and I found out that other markets, not just the Taiwanese market, like Japan and uh, Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore, they're all using very traditional ways to find solutions. But I know all the pet parents out there, they have the same problem as me because I moved to Taiwan with my dog, right? You met my dog, Sky, And I still had to ask friends and family to help me watch over my dog when I travel. So it was just a very, very annoying thing to deal with. I think everyone has seen people with that problem. Whenever they travel, they have to ask their friends and family to help. So I just saw an opportunity. It was right there. And then I did some research. The market is big enough. And I had some experience as an entrepreneur. And I was also a dog walker back in the day. So I just kind of brought in a domain. I didn't really think much. I was just like, <laughs> oh, okay, there's a problem. Uh, market is big. Okay, let's do it. So there wasn't, was it just like you were, you went to bed one night and you're just like, you woke up and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this now. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was like, I looked at my dog. I was like, oh. It's just so annoying that when I travel, I would ask people to help me take care of you. It's kind of annoying. It was a personal problem, first of all. And I 
and really changed my life when I was a dog walker slash sitter back in the days. It helped me a lot when I was tough on financial situations. So I feel like this could really help a lot of people, especially in urban areas when where the wealth gap is big or where、uh, there are people that need extra income. And like a lot of our sitters, they used to make a thousand dollars a month, and now they can make double or triple of how much they used to make. And they actually have the flexibility of、uh, working from home, or they can still hang out with their kids. They can bring a dog home and still spend time with their family. And retired or moms, housewives that usually don't have anything to do at home, and now they have a way to make income. So it's very meaningful in that sense, and that's why that triggered me too. Do this, even though I didn't know I had no tech background. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I just really wanted to do something impactful for Taiwan. It's just my love for Taiwan. How did you start that business? You woke up, you wanted to do it, and what's the first steps? Right. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, okay. I have no tech background, so my background is in CPG. I did have a CPG company, a juice company, back in California, and I sold that company. So I do have entrepreneur background, but. I don't have any tech background, so I figured the first thing is to figure out who has the tech background that can help me. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about Taiwan, so I was like, "Oh, I probably need someone that knows something about Taiwan." So I went out to search for people that could help me, or resources that can help me get to building a product, building a company that I want to build. So initially, I wanted a technical co-founder. So I had this idea. I was like, "This is definitely 100% going to work." Now I have to find a technical co-founder, but I didn't know where to go. So I just looked up on Facebook events, and there was an Eventbrite, but it's not popular here. So I looked up Arcupass, that was that's more popular here. So I looked up events like AI meetups and like blockchain meetups. I figured the best engineers are probably there. So I went to all these、uh, tech events, and I started pitching to all engineers. I see, hey, yo, I have this idea. I think it's gonna change the world. We're gonna create so many jobs in Taiwan and all throughout Asia. The market is huge. Let's do this. So I pitched to about, I think, three hundred engineers. Wow. Yeah, and eventually, I think three. Engineers were really interested to become my technical co-founder.、Uh, I also applied to AppWorks back then because I didn't know anything about the local markets here, and、uh, they're quite big on、uh, Southeast Asia and Taiwan. So I wanted to apply to just to figure out the markets. So I did also apply to accelerator, local accelerator. And found a technical co-founder after pitching to 300 engineers. This guy was really interested. He became our CTO, and he happened to be part of the AppWorks alumni group. So we clicked right away, and we started building on this app. And that was it. Did you get into AppWorks? Yeah, 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 we got into that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we did, we did. Otherwise, I don't think we would be here today. <laughs> I would still be lost. I think. What were some of the benefits that like a accelerator like AppWorks brought to the table? Like, how did they help?、Uh, it was mainly the Community for me, demo day was cool and all, but but the community was probably the best. I, we had a really good support from our mentors, especially finding co-founders. This guy, the CTO, wouldn't have joined if we weren't selected to join AppWorks, and found other founders from the group really supported us. We we didn't know anything about. The market, and they would help us out.、Uh, we didn't know anything about fundraising. It was my first time fundraising, <laughs> and then people would refer investors from the group. So I think it was mainly the community that brought us. It was the most impactful for us. How large is the company now? It's still a small team. We have、uh, about eight people on the team, and we have about three thousand pet sitters on the platform, and that's about how big the team is. What was some of the challenges? Because like starting a marketplace like this or something like this, right, would require both sides, right? And the pet sitters obviously won't come to something without customers, and the customers won't sign up without the pet sitters. How did you kind of bootstrap that? 
Yeah, that was tough. The biggest thing is to balance out both sides. Initially, we focus on the supplier. We figure we had to start with the supplier because our users need to find sitters. We didn't really didn't know if it was gonna work, so we started off going to pet expos and just talking to everyone, recruiting pet sitters there. We didn't even have money to get a booth, so we were standing by the bathroom with a sign. <laughs> I definitely did that. It was so stinky. <laughs> I was by the bathroom holding a sign asking people to join as visitors. Yeah, I'll give、yeah. you a cute dog bandana if you join. <laughs> so we did that. We recruited a hundred visitors in a day. Wow! So it was really efficient. I was like, oh, okay, cool. There are a lot of people that are down to take care of other people's dogs for money and cats. Yeah. So did you do that next year, or did you get like a proper booth? We're invited every year now. Yeah, we can afford <laughs> booths now. But back then, we by the bathroom because we didn't pay for the booth, so we could only stand that corner. Some of the sitters from that day, they still remember that day. Like, oh, remember you guys were standing by the bathroom. <laughs> so yeah, initially we recruited sitters that way, and we found out that oh, okay, so there are people that are down to take care of other people's pets for money now. We just have to find the users, so we did the same thing. We went back to the pet expo. We're like, hey, who wants a pet sitter?、And、people actually did try, but there was like no retention, zero retention, and. That was when we realized oh something was wrong. We talked to the users, so we launched the app without knowing if the market will like it. So we we found the sitters, and there was no retention. So we talked to our users more, and now we have about a hundred thousand users and three thousand sitters. But back then, our first batch of users, we had to get ready for demo days. We had to get traction within like three months, so it was tough. We just had to go to the pet expo every day. We went to the pet expo, went to pet parks every day to find users and talk to them. So they didn't really like the app. They didn't like the sitters. Sitters seem unprofessional.、Um, there were many reasons they didn't want to continue using the app, and we made more modifications after talking to users. And we offer online trainings. We started fixing our UI UX for the users. We really changed up our app and our initial idea a lot to solve our users' problems. Honestly, initially, I just wanted to take Rover from the states and then just bring it over and just like it's probably gonna work, but it didn't work. It's the market is totally different. Even though we kind of used the initial Rover UI UX, but for this market, we had to localize it. It's more than just language. Yeah, consumers care about different things. Trust is not as, as a big of an issue in the states, but trust is a very major issue here. People are not used to having sitters come to my house to feed my dogs, so we really had to make it more professional. Instead of just having an app out there with the reviews, we had to issue certificates and so on. So we had to come up with this whole key exchanging process to. Give someone a key, and how do we secure the key? So it's very different. The market, how people live, the housing situation is not the same as California or New York. So we had to change up, localize the app features, and we had to train our sitters differently to fit the local market needs.、Uh, we did that. We did that a lot. We talked to our users a lot, figure out what the market really wanted, and build an app. And we train our sitters that way, just to fit. The local market, yeah, and that's where we are today. A hundred thousand users now. How did you kind of talk to a user? So you said you went to like pet parks, pet expos. Like, did you have a pitch? Like, because I feel in Taiwan, a lot of people are probably not receptive to some random stranger. Yeah, I think it's、uh, my killer smile. <laughs> There's a special thing with dog and cat community here. It's a very collective culture. A lot of Asian countries, instead of individualism, they're very collective. So once they're in this dog community or cat community, it spreads out really fast. So actually, most of our users just come from referrals now. But back then, we just try our best to get into those communities. And once we're in the community, they trust you. They will share it to all of their friends. And we found out later on that's the thing in Taiwan. So we use that approach. We're still using that approach, and it's the most effective way. 
do you host like events of yourselves now or platform for any other kind of gatherings for pet owners now? Or is that kind of just... We have a community. We have a very tight uh, sitter community and they host events on their own as well. So we kind of do this hands-off. You guys can host any events and we can help host events as well. But we do focus on this community, this fluff community in Taiwan. And it's very effective. What makes a professional sitter? Like how do you train and how do you kind of certify like a sitter? Like what's the characteristics you want in your sitter? So we have to make sure that they truly love animals. And that's the first thing. And they have to have pet experience, cat or dog, lizards, anything. But they just have to have experience. They have to love animals. And then they can go on our online training program. So everything's online now. We used to have offline training events and uh, we had offline interviews. But we couldn't really scale up as more demand came through. So we digitalized everything. And now we're in the middle of automating the process. We went from 300 to 3,000 sitters in a year. So we're automating this process of making sure they do love animals and making training easier. Because a lot of people have technical challenge with the online training because a lot of our sitters are older, like the retirees or they're like older housewives. They do run into some technical challenges. So we're trying to make it easier for them to onboard. And with vetting them, we want to automate that process as well in order to ensure quality. We started having quality issues when we went from 300 to 3,000. So that's the next challenge that we have. We're currently solving that problem. But yes, we do make sure they have knowledge about pet care. We vet their IDs. We do a background check on them and we do a test to get them certified. It's an online certification that we issue. So that's the stuff that you show to the pet owners. Like this is that you can feel confidence, right? What other things do you guys do? Uh, so users actually really do care about reviews. So we emphasize on the reviews of each sitter. And one interesting thing is kind of like Airbnb, they really care about pictures. I remember uh, back in the days, Airbnb blew up because they had photographers sent to hosts' homes to help them take pictures of their rooms and so on. So we decided to try that approach to gain trust and it actually does work. So whoever that has nicer pictures will get more customers. Nicer pictures of the sitter? The or sitter the and their homes. Oh. So if they do boarding, if they can board dogs and cats, then they have to have really nice pictures of their home. If they want to go into someone's house to feed the dogs and cats, they have to have a very clear picture of their face with a dog or a cat. So we started working with photographers to help them take nice pictures and it actually does help with gaining trust from users. How did you kind of like managing this team to do all these different things so quickly? We have to focus on one thing at a time. So we always figure out what the biggest problem is, and then we solve that. And once we have that solved, move on to the next thing. Uh, we're still in the middle of doing that. There are a lot of things that we have to do, but we really move forward by focusing on one thing at a time, the biggest problem. So it's about prioritizing what the biggest problem is at a time. You mentioned earlier that your team was 100% remote. Yeah, pretty much. How does that work? It's not quite often you come across a Taiwanese company or company operating in Taiwan that's fully remote. Yeah, I mean, we went to fully remote during COVID. I think a lot of companies went through that. And we started using this in Gathertown. I think a lot of people use it. Gathertown uh, is a very really cute. That. Yeah, it's very cute. We still do team buildings. We're all very passionate about what we're building. So if you have the right people, the right team, it's totally possible to do work remotely. And our team initially was selected people with that kind of self-motivation and drive. So even though we're all working remotely, we get things done. 
we get our jobs done. And uh, with Gather Town and Google Me, it just all works out. We do a stand up every single day on Gather Town. We have a Slack channel that we just talk shit about life, tell jokes. And so we stay connected in that way. We show off our dogs and our cat pigs, you know. So we are very connected and we hang out once a month for a team building event. And that's been working out for us. What's your approach to like recruiting for such a very tight team? They have to join for the right reason. I think a lot of companies face in Taiwan, especially if they hire locally in Taiwan, they lack motivation. It's just a very chill lifestyle in Taiwan. So we actually look for people who have struggled before. We either have struggled, like people that have gone through a divorce, people that have gone through very tough times with the family, that have to take care of their elders at home. We, we really look for people with passion and empathy because that's what our company culture is about. So they're so passionate about solving the problems that they once had. A divorced mom that couldn't take care of her kids. And now we're creating jobs for moms. And another really awesome tech lead. He has to take care of his family at home. He has six cats. And wherever he had to travel for work, he doesn't know what to do with the cats. So he's just so passionate about what we're all so passionate about what we're building that even though we're working remotely, it's okay. So people with the bright drive and people who have struggled, those are the people that we look for who have struggled. They tend to be really good candidates in Taiwan, a lot more motivated. So they can work on their own with no problem. You're right, because there's a lot of workers in Taiwan that just kind of check in, check out. I like that approach. That's very fun. Yeah, it's fun. We don't, I mean, schools, yeah, it's a reference, but we really do look for people who have struggled. You guys are expanding. So like, when did you make that decision to that, like figured out how to scale this approach? We figured out how to understand how this works. And then let's take this abroad. Like, how did you make that decision? I was meditating and this just came to my mind. And one other thing is I, um, it was also post-COVID. We started getting requests from Hong Kong. We started getting requests from places outside of Taiwan. And Taiwan was still in a lockdown, actually. But other countries had already opened. We wanted to just go about faster and not just chill in Taiwan and wait for the, the borders to open. So we did some initial research back then, but we didn't really go for it. And then Taiwan opened up, we couldn't keep up with demand, so we came back to Taiwan to focus on the local market. It's getting more stabilized now in Taiwan, and we're getting requests from all over Asia, especially Mandarin-speaking countries, so Singapore, Hong Kong. And we saw the opportunity. This post-COVID traveling opportunity is a once-a-lifetime opportunity. Even though the market is bad, we wanted to raise a lot more money back then, uh, but the SVB crashed, so one of our lead investors like, decided to fall out of the deal. It was a very big hit for us because we got all this demand. We've been hitting our highest revenue record every month, but we can't raise because it was so hard back then to right after SVB crashed. The market was so bad that our valuation dropped to like one-fifth or like one-sixth of our original valuation. And it was a very hard time. So, But then we looked for other ways to get money. The only way wasn't just fundraising. We could get money from elsewhere. So we could capture this opportunity. And we did. We found money with other ways. We still have other individuals, angels that really believe in what we're doing. So we raised a round during COVID and we're about to close another round next month. So we're going to expand a little faster now. So we have a lot of surging demand coming through, but they're falling. Kind of like you're calling for Uber, but you can't get an Uber. Pisses you off. That kind of feeling while users are getting that feeling. So we decided to scale up now. So we get more sitters. We get the housewives. We get more moms. We make our app easier for, to onboard those sitters. And so we have enough sitters to meet the demand. And we need money to do that. So that was when we decided, okay, we got to get this opportunity. Trust our gut and go. 
when we did research online, are searching for pet sitters from Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore. Everyone's looking for solutions. So it's the best time to expand. But we understand resources are limited. So we are just going to be efficient with our resources. Are there any other competitors in the market? Uh, we do have one competitor from Singapore. Their approach is very price-driven. And our approach is more trust and convenience-driven. So with their price approach, they can get a different type of market. You know, they can get a more of a lower-end market. And we're targeting more of a, okay, I need to get a sitter now fast. I need to trust this person. But we do have a competitor. They're pretty big in Southeast Asia. I think in some markets, it does work with the price-driven approach. But for us, it's a convenience and trust approach. So it's for different markets, probably more for uh, Northeast Asia, the more developed cities. All you did in Taiwan, a lot of it seemed to have been relying on like offline, like going to meet people, going to expos. How are you trying to kind of port that to like, Hong Kong or Singapore, where you might not necessarily be able to put people on the ground the same way? Or are you actually doing that? Mm, we are actually not doing that. Our community is actually, a lot of it is online, and they can meet up offline on their own, right? So it's a very decentralized. Our community managing strategy is very decentralized. Even though we don't go to Taizong, we don't go to the south of Taiwan, but one third of our revenue comes from Taizong. So we're not there. But we can somehow manage from Taipei because they have the local community there and they do their local community meetups there. So we don't have to be there. We just have to make sure that they really believe in our core values. They believe in our company and what we're doing for animals and people. So we manage them currently with line groups. So we know uh, to go to Hong Kong. Uh, Japan, we can also use line. But we'll localize the communication tool based on what they use locally. So far, it's been effective. And... Uh, with the hazing process, I feel like always works with how App works did it with the hazing process. We do a very difficult test so the sitters can join. So they all know whoever that's in this community, they all love animals. They all want to make an impact. They all want to change how people treat animals. So they all have this love for animals and they all have to make, you know, second source of income. So they help each other out. They teach each other different skills. And we're actually also trying to make it easier for them to make money from teaching others as well. We're trying to implement that. Like teaching pets? Like or? pet sitters teaching other pet sitters. Oh. Because now we're scaling up. So we're automating that process. It was from us. We teach all of them online. But some hands-off experience, they have to probably learn from other sitters. That will make scaling up faster. That's on our roadmap to automate that process as well. You talked about trust and like one of the big nightmares, like something might happen. Might not even be their fault, might not even be anyone's fault, but like something can happen. Like what assurances can you do or what things can you do to kind of prevent that sort of worst case scenario from happening? To avoid that from happening, they have to trust the platform, they have to trust the brand, just like how you have to trust Uber to getting a stranger's car. So we have to have protections and assurances that protect both ends of our users. So from day one, we offer protection for both sides. Insurance for sitters and insurance for the pet owners. If anything happens to the pets, we have insurance. We will get you covered. If a sitter gets bit by a dog or a cat, we also protect them. We have insurance that covers for their safety. So both ends of users, we have a really high retention right now, 60% compared to our competitors, 2 to 3% because they usually just bypass the platform. But for us, we protect both of them. So they feel the need to stick with the platform. And I think a lot of people in Taiwan, they're afraid of the things being stolen. If they ask a sitter to come feed the cats, they're worried that they might take something. But we do the background check and vetting and we make sure the users know. And we in the middle will prevent that from happening at all costs. And if it does happen, 
then we'll bring authorities to resolve the problem. So both ends of our users know that they are protected. And then they start referring to their friends and then we resolve trust issues easily when their friends have used the platform or the sitter. You mentioned that there's like dog or cat might bite them, right? Does that happen? It does happen. And then they can just go to the hospital and they get the hospital bill and we'll have insurance that can help them out. Is there times where you have to turn away users because like that dog or cat might be kind of dangerous or something? It does happen, but we have different uh, skilled sitters. So usually when a dog is more aggressive, we will send them sitters with training background, like dog training background. They are more pricey though. The more pricey sitters can take care of the tougher dogs. So we would just redirect the booking to the experienced, the really, really skilled pet trainer sitter. They're all very different in their own way. We have basic sitters and we have the trainer sitters and the vet assistant sitters. They, they have vet backgrounds. So different levels with different prices. Wow. I didn't know there was all that sort of kind of breakdown. Yeah, yeah like Uber Green, Uber X, Uber XL, Uber Black. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Is that something you had to create based on the situation or is just you saw an opportunity to kind of bring more value to the table kind of thing? Mm, yeah, because um, the users asked for that. We talk to the users and that's what the users want. They want the service to be more customized for their pets. The current solution of asking friends and family to help or sending them to a pet shop, pet hotel, are very standardized. And uh, it's hard to trust a friend who has never taken care of a dog to take care of your dog. We're actually very data-driven. Every user has to create a dog or cat profile. We know what their personalities are. We know how they behave. We know what they eat. And then we match them, a sitter, with the most suitable experience. So that's how we connect them. So this sitter would know how to feed wet food. This sitter knows how to take care of elder cats. So we will match them. And that's why our conversion rate is higher. That's why we have a higher retention rate because it's a perfect sitter for them. Do you do things other than dogs or cats, like birds or lizards or anything like that? Yeah, one time we had chicken, one time we had fox. We had some really interesting users. A fox. A fox. I don't even know that's legal, but, <laughs> but we did have a fox user. <laughs> Rolling out this expansion and trying to build up this new market, like what resource do you wish you had more of as you're doing it? Like what's on your wish list? Mm, oh, wish list. Well, of course, money is one thing, but connecting locally, it's also possible. I feel like if we did it, if I didn't know anyone in Taiwan, I could find people in Taiwan. We can probably do the same thing in Japan. We did do it. We just flew to Japan and see what's up. And we did find connections there. Hong Kong, Philippines, Manila, we wanted to expand to Manila. We wanted to explore the market. We want more uh, resources in those areas. So that's one thing that's on our wish list. We want to have more resources locally without having to fly there. But it's okay. I know we have to fly there and really meet people locally. And I mean, with money, you make it easier. But there's always a way to make it work. And actually, every market, the market in Tokyo and the market in Manila and the market in Hong Kong, they are similar but different. The problems that we're solving for them is very different. Potential users in Tokyo, they want it to be faster. They want to find someone fast and really have to trust this person. But then the users in Hong Kong, uh, users in Manila, it's a different problem because they don't even have solutions in Manila. They don't even have pet hotels. But in Japan, they have pet hotels, but they want their pets to be taken care of differently. The problems that we're solving, even though it's the same app, we're solving different pain points for them because they're different. And from talking to them, we know what they want. So we just have to get the resources to get there. We need to be able to recruit sitters. Recruiting sitters in Japan is very tough, but it's easy in Manila. Gaining trust in Japan is also harder, but in Manila is easier. So depending on how much money we get to raise for this round, it would really change how fast we expand. We do understand the market currently. We just have to take what we have and then just work with what we have. It's a really interesting point you talked about with like the different cultures of pet cultures between different areas like Manila and Japan, very different. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Uh, so with Japan, we went to the market, we did research and we went there. We found out that people, a lot of pets, just countries with less kids 
And more pets, they typically treat their pets like babies, fur babies. So Japan was our top choice, but they do have existing solutions. They're obviously more competitive, and their existing solutions are more traditional. They have to send out an email to get a booking. They have to call to make a booking. So for younger people, it's very annoying. The whole booking process can take a long time. Could take a a week to get an email, get a response, and do the matching, and it's all through customer service, a call. Uh, so that's for the Japanese market. We didn't know until we actually went there and talked to the users. We actually just do our Google, Facebook ads, and then we got users that were interested, and they didn't like the existing solutions. We called them from Taiwan and asked them, "So what's the problem?" And they said, "Oh, just my area doesn't have enough sitters, and it's so annoying. I have to call every time and email them every time. And they're not always available. So that's their problem." So the survey went out to hundreds of people. We call about ten users to figure out what their real problems are, and we found out that's the Japanese market. That's the problem with the people that living around Tokyo, pet owners that live around Tokyo. And we did the same thing in Manila, and we called users. We did the survey, and they said they don't even have solutions. It's sent animal hospitals, animal hospitals with like cages. It's just very sad. And they were like, "Oh my gosh, this is a pet sitter solution it sounds amazing! Oh my gosh, we don't have any solution." Like, I love my dog because they actually do love their dogs. I think it's just the people that we're targeting will be different. It will be the rising middle class in Manila, but in Japan there are a lot of expats that go to Tokyo to work. So the people that we're targeting will be slightly different, but with these people that that don't have any existing solutions, they're very easy to convert. In Japan, we have to convince them we're more convenient. You gotta trust us, even though we're new to Japan. So it will take longer to build up the Japanese market, but for Manila, for Hong Kong, because they don't have existing solutions, it will be a lot easier to just go in, and they have a demand but no solution. Much easier to convert them. Surprising that Hong Kong doesn't have a native solution yet, especially considering like I see a lot of pets there. Yeah, a lot of pets there. So their solutions are also a little more traditional, kind of like uh, Japan. The pet sitters are usually individuals on like in, on Facebook groups, so it's harder to gain trust. There's no protection. There's no insurance. This is the biggest value that we bring is that you can trust a stranger to come to your home. But usually it's hard. So in Hong Kong, there are solutions, but they're usually strangers and individuals and. On Facebook groups, and they don't have a platform like what we have here in Taiwan. So I think that's why we're getting requests from Hong Kong. What's your vision for Fluff? Like, what does kind of the future for this company? Like, what do you want it to be? It hasn't changed. We want to help people and animals. It's very simple. We want to create jobs for people that need the money, and we want pets to be loved. So that's why we're fluffed. We want everyone, every pet, to be fluffed. We have a milestones we want to hit. Like, we want to create hundred thousand jobs in the next three years. And we want to have million users in the next five years, but all this—they all go back to want to help people and animals. That's our vision, and we want to be the biggest in Asia. We don't know if we'll go IPO. We don't know if we'll get acquired. We just want to stick to this vision, and we'll just keep going till every pet is loved, <laughs> every pet and human is loved. Candace, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John, for your time as well. Had a lot of fun. 